Coming up, it's debate day. We've got one more person to do debate prep on, and that is Mike Pence. 2012 gubernatorials debate. Guess what? He stinks. Also, my final definitive power rankings. It's all coming right up. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Wednesday, August 23rd, our first debate of the GOP primary calendar. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from deep in the heart of Texas, Austin, to be exact. And I'm just saying, if the tropical storm that is currently trying to sneak across our border wants to make its way up here to the capital city boy howdy would i enjoy the rain but speaking of droughts ours is over the vast desert expanse of not having middle-aged men and women stand on stage and pretend to actually argue with each other for the benefit of a live audience and internationally distributed broadcasts is finally over. Please, friends, release your diaphragm and allow your breath to breathe easy because it is debate night. Like many things in life, it's not perfect. No, 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 no. We would have liked for this to be a more competitive race. We would have liked for the front runner to show up. But no, not to be, not to be. What we're going to do with what we have. Before we get into our final bit of debate prep, with Mike Pence, uh, let's let's fill you in on the news. Donald Trump will not be on stage, and he is going to do everything to counter-program this debate. Not only will on X, Twitter, whatever the platform's called, because it's called Tucker on Twitter. Tucker Carlson. Trump's going to be on Tucker Carlson. So Tucker Carlson is doing his stuff on Twitter. By and large, I think it's been uh, a lot more tolerable than his television show was. Donald Trump is the biggest guest that he could get in politics next to Joe Biden. And so Donald Trump is going to play that card. Sit down with Tucker Carlson and that will be posted while the debate is ongoing. Or will it? I got a little suspicion that it's going to get published before. And I got a suspicion that Donald Trump's going to say something provocative and I am going to assume that he will infect this debate by having the moderators ask the people on stage one of the many questions I'm sure they're going to ask about Donald Trump. Something that he pulls the strings on that feels very Trump to me. But let's say that one of the people that we are going to talk about today, one of the eight on stage, and we are now 
dialed in with eight on stage, meaning Suarez, sorry, Johnson, sorry, Elder, no, you're off. We'll get into the eight that are on the stage in a second. But if one of those eight happened to have a breakout moment, happened to have something that is delectable to the mimetic media, well, Donald Trump's going to blow them off the front page on Thursday because that is when he is turning himself in to Fulton County prosecutors. His uh, bond is set for $200,000. And last we heard, there will be a mugshot, which means that will be the most shared photo that could possibly exist on the internet. And I'm sure it will be in dorm rooms from now until they ban posters. So no Trump. Trump's off the stage. So who are the eight? Ron DeSantis. Chris Christie. Asia Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson. Nikki Haley. Tim Scott. Doug Burgum. Vivek Ramaswamy. And the man who will comprise our final debate prep, Mike Pence. One note on Vivek Ramaswamy. If there's any Ramaswamy heads in the audience, uh, we will not be doing a debate prep on him because I ain't got no tape. Televised American debates are something that are unlike anything else on the planet. It's not the same as being on television. It's not the same as being on a podcast. It's not the same as doing actual debates, i.e. Lincoln-Douglas debates or Soho Forum debates. These are a unique beast. It is live on television. It is very well covered. It is incredibly pressure-filled. And Vivek has never run for office. He's never done anything as big as this. And so I don't think that it would be fair either to the other work that I've done where I have watched similar style versions of this debate, be it for statewide office or national office. It would be unfair for me to judge a bunch of things that are not that against what he has done in the past. So Vivek right now is going to get a incomplete from me on debate prep. I will still rank him in my power rankings at the end of this episode, but you're not going to get any kind of segment on it quite simply because I don't think it would be fair to the rest of the work that I've done for the other candidates. And with that, I'd like to bring you back to 2012 when an Indiana six congressman was looking to keep the Republicans in control of the governor's mansion of Indiana. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mike Pence debate prep. You always know what your opponent's got to say because they've already told you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for debate prep? So, 
As I mentioned in the intro, the Republicans' Mitch Daniels is term limited. He's on his way out. Pence is recruited from D.C. to come and take that slot. On stage with Pence is Democrat John Gregg. He is an Indiana State House speaker. And Rupert Boneham. If that is somebody that you know, then you are almost assuredly a viewer of Survivor. He is on stage as the libertarian candidate. I am not a Survivor viewer myself, so I texted somebody that I know watches a lot of reality television and competition television, Brian Ibbett from the Morning Stream, and he said he loves him. Loves Rupert. Well, he was popular enough to get the nomination. He was popular enough to make it up on stage. And he is the precursor of Mike Pence not being able to shake reality television talent. (laughs) Mike Pence's career is going to end with Nick Cannon. (laughs) <laughs> it is going to end with Hulk Hogan. It is going to end with Scam Duvall. That is how Mike Pence's career is going to end. Because this man cannot get away from reality TV. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, begin with Mike Pence's opening statement. Thank you, John. Thank you to the Indiana Debate Commission and... Uh to all of the attendees and to my fellow aspirants uh, for this office for the privilege of being able to be with you all tonight. It's also a particular joy to be on the campus of the University of Notre Dame with the 6-0 and Fighting Irish, getting ready to make it 7-0. and I uh, checked a bucket list today by uh, making my way down to the locker room. Uh, it was empty, so I wasn't able to give any advice to the team, but uh, I lived out a fantasy. You know, I'm, I'm running for governor of Indiana because I love this state and because I have a plan to take Indiana from good to great. I think this is no ordinary time in the life of our state. I think we've made extraordinary progress in the last eight years. We've become the fiscal envy of the country. We've reformed government. We've reformed our schools. We've reformed our workplace. But now I think we can build on that in ways that will create good jobs and great schools, safe streets and strong families. And I look forward to talking to you all about that plan tonight. Is it just me? Or does Mike Pence have George W. Bush voice? There is a phenomenon in politics where a politician will either subconsciously or consciously take cues from whoever the the alpha is at the moment. And granted, this is 2012. We're four years away from George W., leaving the White House. But you have to imagine for Mike Pence, that was the prime of his ascent was was under W. That's when he was cutting his teeth. And also, it takes longer for trends to get to the Midwest. In my mind, he's a little shaky in this opening statement. And to be totally honest, I don't think he really gets much better. Here is Mike Pence answering a question about the state pension. Thank you, John. Well, well, let me let me begin the debate by agreeing uh, uh, with Speaker Greg on 
his last point. Uh, I, I truly believe the pathway forward in facing the challenge of our public pensions is growth. That's why at the centerpiece of my roadmap is a plan to strengthen our budget reserves, to keep our balance sheet strong, but then also to cut taxes across the board for every Hoosier in the city and on the farm. When we lower the personal income tax by 10%, we'll lower taxes on almost 90% of our business enterprises. John's right about that. Growth is the answer. Thank you, Mr. Pence. And Mr. Gregg. This is where experience matters. And this is why I'm proud to be the only candidate who has balanced Indiana's budget, balanced a bipartisan budget. I've cut taxes, and I understand the state's budget. I understand state agencies. And this is important in understanding as we move forward in this critical time. And if we work together and build a consensus, we can do this. I'm the only one with a record of bipartisan proven results. Something that you don't know just from listening to this, but... Pence is directing his rebuttal answer to Greg and Greg up to this point in the debate has been outflanking Pence on his right, specifically his fiscal right. So Greg begins with a Ronald Reagan quote, hold for a Democrat. It's something that you need to do if you're going to try to win in a likely Republican state like Indiana was in this moment. Greg takes the Pence offer and then hits him with it. Because Pence is trying to be nice. There, there's an element, I, who knows whether or not this was Pence's instinct or one of his advisors, but it's very clear that somebody got in Mike Pence's ear before this debate and said, be nice. You need to soften yourself for the electorate. You need to be more palatable to the people in the cities because the people in the farms are going to like you either way. Pence feels like he's, trying to do kind of the opposite of what Greg's trying to do. Greg is trying to be more fiscally conservative and Pence is trying to be nicer. And so that's why he's like agreeing. And we all know what we think about agreeing in the PX3 world of debates. That is quite literally the original sin of the first televised debate. Richard Nixon thought he was actually having a debate with JFK. JFK correctly assumed that this was not an actual conversation where you're going to get credit for congeniality. This is competitive political commercials. That's what you're doing. In a political commercial, when you are on it for time, you're trying to hit your mark, you don't say, well, I like my opponent and I think he's right on a bunch of stuff. No, 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 no. Skip to where you disagree and why you're the right person in the moment. Here's Mike Pence on education. Well, Professor, thank you for the question. And uh, thank you for your work in the classroom. I've got a couple kids in college, and uh, I know how hard your job is. Uh, let me say, and, and including uh, our, all of our private colleges and the University of Notre Dame, our public universities are an enormous asset in the state of Indiana. And and need to be supported. But I, I want to suggest to you, Professor, and to those that are looking on, I think it's important that we focus on making college more affordable. I mean, the reality is that less than a third of our kids that go to public universities in Indiana finish a four-year degree in four years. Now, that's different here. At the University of Notre Dame, about 90% of the students that start here on this campus will finish a four-year degree in four years. And that's putting a tremendous burden on our kids in the manner, in most cases, of student loans and debt, uh, and frankly, it's, 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 uh, it's resulting in a, in a burden on our universities as well. I think we, we're gonna, we've proposed a series in, 
in my plan to encourage our public universities to get our kids on a four-year track, help them to finish on time, uh, and tie our funding formula to higher education to that on-time completion. Thank you, Mr. Penn. So this is a question about college. The traditional Republican perspective is that colleges are not as necessary and we need to focus on blue collar and trade and blah, 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 blah. What Pence has offered here is a third way solution to not backdoor backdoor the decision of the past governor to cut higher education without slamming college in general. The question that you have to ask yourself, even 10 years after this debate, is if you believe in him. Because I don't know if I do. And this will begin the march of Mike Pence talking more about Mitch Daniels than himself. Now, obviously, there is a thin line that you are going to have to walk when you are the heir apparent. You want to make it very, very clear. Mitch Daniels is very popular at this time that you are the nothing needs to change here candidate. People like the way things are going. You will continue them. However, there still is a question of why you. This is an opportunity to introduce yourself to a lot of people that might not have known you. Here is a local question. Whether or not Pence would be for finishing a highway from Evansville to Indianapolis that at the time was about a billion away from completion. And uh, I've supported finishing I-69 to Indianapolis for about 20 years. And uh, and I do believe that Governor Daniels' leadership in this has been historic. We're going to finish the job. We're also going to finish 31 uh, from Indianapolis uh, to South Bend. And we're going to get those Ohio River bridges done. Here's how we're going to do it, folks. Um, First and foremost, we're going to fight hard uh, from those folks in Washington, D.C. to make sure Indiana gets our dollars back. I just finished a couple months ago working in a bipartisan way uh, with Republicans and Democrats to get a highway bill done. Brought more dollars back to Indiana uh, uh, in terms of our tax dollars. Uh, going to Washington, D.C. than we'd ever had. I'm proud of it. Uh, But that's not all the answer. We've also got to fight to get more control over the federal dollars that come back. You know, there's real estimates that by sending those a little more than 18 cents to Washington, D.C., they add about 20% of the cost. If we go to Washington, D.C. and say, "Let, let us just have those tax dollars, We'll say we'll have another hundred million dollars a year to spend, Thank according you, to Pence. some estimates. We can do this, but it's going to have to take fighting for Hoosier tax dollars and being innovative and being committed. Thank you, Mr. Pence. Boy, is it just me or is he still doing the George W. impression? Dropping a, th- a few G's here and there. Well, now, yep, yep, yep. This is, in my opinion, D.C. gobbledygook. Uh, Pence is really bad so far. And it's at this point in the debate that they switch to a Lincoln-Douglas-style debate, which makes me very, very, very happy. Because I have said, and I said in this intro, televised debates are not Lincoln-Douglas debates. And I want to prove it by saying, even when they're doing a Lincoln-Douglas format, it's not an actual debate. Before we get to anything else, I want to bring you this fun moment uh, Bonham talks about prison populations and Pence get a, gets an early head start on his future of reality show bootlicking. This is Mike Pence talking about how much of a beautiful man Robert Bonham is. 
how to have that sense of worth and work ethic. We need to create in our detention centers the, re the solution for our exploding population in the detention centers and not just putting them out on the street. Thank you, Mr. Bonham. Mr. Pence, two minutes. Thank you, John. And uh, I, I really want to, I want to commend you for uh, raising this issue in this governor's debate, Rupert. And I do want to commend you for the work you've done on behalf of the youth in central Indiana. Guy wins a national television show. He decides to come back and help kids. I find that very moving. Okay, well, now that Pence has complimented both of the other people on stage, let's get back to what really matters, talking about the outgoing governor. Thank you. You know, when Governor Mitch Daniels took office, Indiana had uh, a deficit of $800 million and owed $700 million to local governing units, to schools, to public universities. In eight short years, we've become the fiscal envy of the country. It's really remarkable. We've honestly balanced budgets. We've capped property taxes. We've cut business taxes. We've reformed government services. We've brought the energy and efficiency of the private sector in many respects into state government. And I have a plan to continue to do that. Uh, in my roadmap, we talk about actually continuing the same uh, management performance-based techniques that the administration has begun, strengthening our reserves to historic highs of 12.5%, not the usual average of 10, and also using the additional budget surplus to cut taxes for every Hoosier. I'd like to hear from my opponents how their plans for tax cuts and spending will square with preserving Indiana's fiscal integrity and Indiana's fiscal strength. How do we make sure we preserve honestly balanced budgets in the future going forward and preserve the progress Indiana's made? Thank you, Mr. There are signs of life from Pence. This is him firing back at Greg. Greg hit him for being too Washington. This is Pence's rebuttal. Well, I, I, I thank uh, my opponents for taking a swing at it, but I got, I got to tell you, John, cutting is not the Washington way, but it's my way. From the time I arrived in Washington, D.C. 12 years ago, I fought runaway spending by both political parties. Uh, when the president of my own party came and wanted to grow entitlements, grow the federal government's role in education, send a Wall Street bailout for $700 billion, I led the fight. I stood for fiscal discipline and reform. That's why I got called one of the hardest working members of Congress. The truth of the matter is, facts are stubborn things. Uh, in five out of six of the years that you were Speaker of the House, Indiana ran a deficit in the tens of millions of dollars. And frankly, John, when I look at your plans for more spending uh, and more boutique tax cuts, um, it, it looks like we're headed to the same path of red ink again. I think Indiana has to make a first importance preserving our fiscal integrity, then giving tax relief to Hoosiers, and then looking for ways to fund the priorities that we need to fund to continue to grow our state into the future. In my opinion, this was Mike Pence's first good answer of the night. It demonstrated his capability to mix common sense compassion with his authentic self, being an uptight religious guy. But you want him to demonstrate his frustration in the way that an uptight religious guy would, which is to say, well, now I just got to stop you right there. Something like that. We, you want Ned Flanders out of Mike Pets. Just be true to that because anything else is going to seem inauthentic. But here we are back to Pence and his talking points. 
This is an extraordinarily exciting time in the life of our state. Because of the leadership we've had in the last eight years, Indiana's the fiscal envy of the country. We have a record budget surplus. Uh, and we've advanced education reforms, extending opportunities to underprivileged kids more generously than any other state in the United States. And they're just starting to take hold. And we've we've uh, managed to reform our bureaucracy in countless ways. I mean, just think about the BMV and how much that's changed. There's been a lot of other changes in state government as well. And of course, we've, we've recognized the right of every Hoosier to work under the terms and conditions of their own choosing. But I think the opportunity right now is to build on that progress. I think there's, there's actually a common opinion here between me and my opponents, is that, that just keeping Indiana on the same path we're on is not good enough. I, I, none of us are running just to keep it going. But my idea to build an even better Indiana is built in our roadmap on a couple of basic ideas. Number one, you preserve the fiscal health of the state. Businesses will grow in Indiana and invest in Indiana if they know that Indiana has a strong balance sheet. Secondly, after you've made sure that you've got enough in the bank, you've got a strong balance sheet, then to me it's, 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 it's not about helping the big guys, it's not about helping the small guys, it's not about targeted tax cuts. I want to cut taxes across the board for every Hoosier in the city and on the farm by 10%. When we do that, we'll do a couple of things. Uh, every, every average Hoosier in this state will, will get a couple hundred dollars in their pocket. Over a two-year period of time, $500 million will go from the state treasury into the economy. Secondly, that's the best way to cut taxes on small businesses, because most small businesses file their taxes as individuals. And when we pass that 10% tax cut, here's the best news. Indiana will be the lowest tax state in the Midwest. And with everything else we've got going for us, wouldn't that be a great thing to put on the billboard facing out straight up to Michigan from here and saying, come on our way. Thank you there's jobs, much. there's opportunities in Indiana, and Thank a bright future. Thank it takes him a full minute to stop slobbering over what Mitch Daniels did before getting to the only question that matters in this debate. Why him? Let me remind you guys again that this race was rated likely Republican by Cooks. And it turned out to be a lot closer. Mike Pence only won by 3%. That is the closest gubernatorial election in 50 years. Not only because Obama was popular in 2012, but I think it's because Pence was not an exciting replacement for a governor that people really liked. And to be totally honest, I think in this moment, he's scared. We'll end on a high note, though, for him. This is Pence's response to a single mother asking a question about welfare in the state of Indiana. Mr. Pence. Uh, Amy, God bless you uh, for being a great mom to your kids. Uh, my wife Karen is with me tonight, was raised for a good part of her youth by a single mom. Uh, we've got a single mom in our immediate family, too. And uh, um, I think one of the encouraging bits of progress of this administration is that Governor Daniels put renewed effort at collecting child support, and just be, be assured, and we'll have an open door uh, to all Hoosier families, but I'm, I'm going to tell you a special place in my heart for single moms. We'll work hard to create those kind of transition programs that you're talking about. And um, again, thank you for your courage. But let me speak, if I can, in the time I have remaining. John, this business about me never passing a single bill, you know that's not true. And just because you say it doesn't make it so. 
I mean, people can go to my website, MikePence.com, and read your heart's intent about legislation that I've authored and enacted. It's given uh, uh, supported jobs in Indiana in the life sciences industry. I was the driving force behind an effort to save some $41 billion in federal spending. It's time to wrap it up, Mr. Pence. And a 95% voting record, I think, speaks for itself, John. So enough of the, you know, I, I think we don't Mr. need Pence, thank you very much. negative personal attacks in a campaign for governor. Mr. We Pence. want a governor that will attack the issues and not his opponents. Mr. Pence, thank you very much. Pence, as the compassionate guy at church, is where he wants to be. And there's also another decent attempt at firing up on Greg. I did not have a lot of high hopes for Mike Pence. In the debate tonight, I have less having watched this. Because, by the way, there's a reason why I watched this debate, which was 10 years ago, as opposed to any of the two debates that he did as vice president. And that's because he wasn't fighting for himself as vice president. He was fighting for Donald Trump. And we saw how much he leaned on Mitch Daniels' record in this debate. Well, guess what? He's going to have a hard time leaning on his record as vice president in the debate tonight because he's also running against the guy that everybody gives credit and blame for everything. Mike Pence doesn't have a lot of substance in this realm. That's saying that being a politician is the same thing as being a, a good television debater. But we are going into a television debate tonight. And I think that Mike Pence's chances are stinko malinko. We get into my definitive power ratings and predictions for the debate right after this. Take politics seriously is where you need to go if you want more of this show. This is the time to do it. I'm going to be giving you my snap reactions as soon as this debate is over. Exclusively on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's going to be the Thursday episode. Meanwhile, we are going to do... The big breakdown on the Friday show. That makes sense? All right. So it's going to be the immediate reaction for you, the $3 Club Faithful, at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Snap reactions, just me emptying the notebook. And then we do the full play the clips, break it down stuff on the Friday episode. So there we go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com $3 gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. But let's go ahead and get to your update real quick. Non-debate news. Joe Biden has announced the new SAVE student loan repayment plan. The Biden administration officially announced the program designed to significantly reduce monthly student loan bills touted as, quote, the most affordable repayment plan in history, according to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. 
Borrowers, borrowers are ready on the revised pay-as-you-earn repayment plan, or those who applied during the beta test do not need to reapply. Additionally, borrower, borrowers who miss a set number of payments will be automatically enrolled in the save plan. Borrowers can easily apply via a federal student aid website with the application process taking roughly 10 minutes. The administration announced an outreach campaign called Save on Student Debt, partnering with grassroots organization. Now, come July 2024, monthly payments will be reduced to 5% of discretionary income for undergraduate loans. This is after payments will begin in the fall. They have been on pause since COVID. The new plan follows after the Supreme Court rejected a proposal to forgive up to $20,000 in student debt per borrower. However, the Biden administration has successfully forgiven over $116 billion for 3.4 million borrowers through various programs. The broader student loan forgiveness program is under development, but details have yet to be finalized. Biden's got to clean up his mess here. Uh, Obviously, student loan Repayment is something that he ran on. He tried to do a thing. It blew up in his face. And on and on and on. He needs enough here so when he runs, he can say he did it. You know, even if he didn't. A troubling poll for Democrats in New York City. The Siena College Research Institute revealed that top New York Democrats, including... Top of the chain there, President Joe Biden are receiving negative views from voters due to their handling of the migrant surge to the state, which has risen to about 100,000 in New York City. By 46 46 to 32% margin, New York voters viewed the migrant resettlement over the last two decades as, quote, a burden rather than, quote, a benefit. Moreover, 58% believe that the state should slow the influx of migrants. Governor Kathy Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams faced disapproval for their handling of the situation with 51 and 47 percent disapproving, respectively. While the numbers have not dramatically changed since the start of the migrant surge, there is a potential risk for Democrats as Republicans could use the issue as a key campaign point for 2024 state legislative and congressional elections. Fewer than 50% of New Yorkers say they would vote for President Joe Biden against former President Donald Trump, a significant drop from Biden's lead in 2020. Poll also revealed that 50% of New Yorkers view Biden unfavorably. This is a poll that I would take with a gigantic grain of salt. I don't think we would even be talking about it if it weren't for the fact that there isn't a lot of other news right now. I think everything will probably revert closer to the mean in New York City by the time that we get to the election next year. And New York has been trending red as a state. Kathy Hochul did not run a great re-election campaign. Eric Adams, I believe, is well-liked, but kind of weird. And he's been viewing this as a a, a real liability for him for years now. He has gone out of his way to talk about the migrant crisis and not in a sanctuary city diversity is our strength kind of way either. And finally, Vivek Ramaswamy, now firmly amongst the 
front runners. I mean, look, it's Trump and the Trumpets polling wise in the GOP primary, but Vivek Ramaswamy is polling ahead of a lot of big, bold face names. Bring it to that in our power rankings, by the way. But with that attention means people actually pay attention to what you say. And Ramaswamy made comments that seemingly questioned the origins of 9-11, prompting a need for clarification on Wednesday. Ramaswamy claimed that the, sorry, Tuesday, Ramaswamy claimed that the Atlantic misquoted him, saying that he was discussing the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack and not the 9-11 attacks regarding how the involvement of federal agents have been discussed. The Atlantic refutes this claim and released a recording showing the accuracy of the quote. In multiple interviews, Ramaswamy stated that his main concern was about government transparency during the January 6th events. He also alleged that federal government wasn't truthful regarding Saudi Arabia's role in 9-11. This isn't the first time that Ramaswamy has raised concerns about the 9-11 attacks. He made comments earlier this month on Blaze TV, stating skepticism about the government's version of events. As the primary debates begin, Ramaswamy has now been welcomed to the big leagues. And that is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, you want my immediate reaction, my immediate reaction to the debate. You got to get on the Patreon. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Back to the show. All right. Let's get to predictions. I got to say, having done all my prep, I'm feeling very good. I'm feeling very, 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 very good about where we are in this debate season. I got a beat on everybody. I got some predictions. Here they go. I expect Ron DeSantis will draw the most fire if you're just going to count how many words are dedicated to another candidate. Ron DeSantis is going to be the guy. I believe the stage believes Ron DeSantis is vulnerable. And I think that Chris Christie will attempt to Marco Rubio him. And by that, I mean Christie is going to try to hit. Ron DeSantis, where it hurts, say that he's overprepared. I do not believe that Ron DeSantis is going to fold like Rubio, but I do think that Chris Christie is going to do it. For the rookies, Burgum, Hutchinson, Ramaswamy, I think that they are going to struggle under the hot lights. Now, when I say rookies, I know that not a lot of these people, except for Christie, have ever been in a situation like this. That being said, I think Burgum, Hutchinson, and Ramishwami are unique in that they think they're prepared, and I don't think that they actually are. Burgum and Hutchinson are coming from much smaller ponds. Ramishwami has been on a rocket ride and is going to have to get up to game speed really, 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 really fast. I would expect all of them to underperform. We're going to get into exactly how much, but I expect Nikki Haley will shine. I expect her to get positive media coverage by the end of this. I believe that Tim Scott will be very likable. I also think he's going to come out positive. 
And I think that if there is room for a viral bad moment, the two biggest are DeSantis and Pence. I'm, it might just be because I've just watched that 2012 debate, but I'm really down on Pence. Okay. So here we go from eight to one, my official power rankings for this debate. At eight, Asa Hutchinson. I don't think that Asa, Asa Hutchinson is untalented, but again, I do believe he is a big fish in a small pond, and this is a level he has not reached, and I think he might think he's prepared for it, which means he's not going to do great. I don't think he's going to do anything embarrassing per se, but he's going to have to work hard to get attention on that stage. And based on the fact that I think he's used to just being a bigger deal, I don't think he's going to reduce himself to interrupting people or doing the kind of disruptive stuff that you need to do to get attention. Number seven, Mike Pence. At some point, Mikey Pence is going to have to ask himself, why is he in this race? He's not a good debater. He's got to run another man's record. And then he's going to grandstand about January 6th for an audience that genuinely doesn't care. In fact, that might be the moment. The moment where he talks about January 6th and gets booed might be the moment that gets mentioned and replayed over and over and over again by the time that this is said and done. Number six, Doug Burgum. Doug Burgum doesn't have much of a theory of the case. But there is the high likelihood, based on the fact that he loves talking about it, that he's going to mention his dad dying in the middle of another conversation, which would be a hilarious dead fish in the middle of an otherwise pitched rhetorical battle. Number five, Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, here's my bold prediction. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to take a lot of fire. Here's why. Go back in time and remember Michael Bloomberg, the first debate that he participated in in that Democratic primary in Las Vegas. Elizabeth Warren, who had been very pointed toward Bernie, she had been pointed toward other people, decided to rip the man's throat out in about four words. And the reason why is because Bloomberg was getting attention that a lot of other politicians wanted, but he didn't have the kind of clout that other politicians have. Bloomberg's a big funder, but if you don't already get money from Bloomberg, then he's not going to give you money in the future. Elizabeth Warren wasn't counting on Bloomberg bucks, so she absolutely pantsed him. Ramaswamy not only has no political clout, at least in terms of a career where he can benefit other people on that stage, he also isn't a gigantic mega funder. I think someone's going to go over the top and clobber him if for no other reason than passing him in the polls will be something that gets attention. 
match that with the fact that he's going to have to get up to game speed. And I think things are going to be a challenge. But like a lot of this race, five to me is a compliment to Ramaswamy. It's hard to come off the street and compete at this level. Number four, Tim Scott. This dude is genuinely likable. But from everything I've seen, debating is not his strong suit. That being said, if any candidate is going to be able to keep it positive while still having people remember him and like him, it's Scott. Which brings us to our top three. Number three, Chris Christie. Dude is a suicide bomber in search of a bus. The man that he said he is running to yell at on television didn't show up to the television studio. His top target will be DeSantis. But that being said, if anyone is going to clobber Ramaswamy, ooh boy, Chris Christie could be that. Man. And that brings us to our top two. Number two, Ron DeSantis. He is an overpreparer. At his best, he is Michael Scott meets Benoit Blanc. The reason why I'm putting him so high is because of everybody else that I watched. The only person who had been in a super high pressure situation and rallied was DeSantis on the debate stage. His performance against Andrew Gillum is something that I think should be factored in here if we are only looking at debate performance. Then there's the fact that he needs this more than anybody else. Nobody else on this stage really has a shot at anything. DeSantis has to kickstart right now a spiraling campaign. And if he has any hope, it's his time to shine. He's a pretty decent counterpuncher. He knows Christie is going to come after him. If he can do the thing that Christie is promising he would do, which is knock somebody out on stage. And I think DeSantis, again, the weird thing about him is that when he rattles off 90 facts in five seconds, It sounds like he believes it because nobody would train a politician to speak like that. Does it translate? We don't know, but I'm putting him at number two. Because at number one, we have the last woman standing, Nikki Haley. If I were to put money down on who will be the media darling after all this is said and done, it's Nikki Haley. She's comfortable being amongst the boys, and she very often elevates above them. I think she is more competent, charismatic, and likable than other female candidates that have been on the Republican stage, more than Carly Fiorina, more than Michelle Bachman. She's been in condescending environments before and thrived. When we were doing her debate prep for South Carolina, there was clear clear energy to show who the alpha on that stage was and a bunch uh, amongst a bunch of back slapping Southern good old boy politicians. 
That's no small feat. I would expect her to stand out as the Wendy amongst these lost boys, at least according to the press. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Oh, baby. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com is where you send your email if you want to get at us on X. PX3 tweets for the show, Justin R. Young or me. My Twitch is px3live.com, letter P, letter X, number three, live.com. We will be live tonight, an hour before the debate. That's where we're going to be. And you can find this podcast, px3podcast.com. Share it with your friends, family, and clergy. Support me with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury, justin-young-20 on Venmo. Cash app is px3cash, and send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. You can also get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Edwin, Andres, C. Garcia, Matthew T., Matt, John Gross, El Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB, Level, Neemeister, Edwin, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arzlanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot. Middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name read on the show? Well, only one place that you should go. Take politics seriously. Dot com. And there we go. Get you ready for this debate tonight. We are live on Twitch, px3live.com. An hour before debate time, we will start. We will be there throughout it. I will have my immediate reactions on the Patreon, and I will be here for you either Thursday or Friday with my full breakdown of this debate once I get all the sound and everything written. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.